0: Hey guys, thank you so much for taking some time to listen to our Revive podcast. Man, I'm so glad that you have taken the opportunity to join us in studying God's Word and talk about how we can apply it in our lives. We would love for you to join us if you're able in person. For more information about when we meet, visit fhrevive.com. But hey, let's go ahead and get right into this week's lesson. We are actually going to be concluding our God and Anxiety series today. So we cut out a couple of weeks of what we were going to do because of our snowmageddon. Um, but we're going to kind of wrap everything up today. And if you are just now hopping in with us, we've, we've spent the last, well, I'd say six weeks. I don't know. The last weeks <laughs> um, discussing um, how God and anxiety, our relationship with God, and our experiences with anxiety, whether it's clinical anxiety or situational anxiety, how they interact with each other. And it's been really riveting. I've enjoyed it. Um, and so if you're interested in hearing more about those, we have a podcast on Spotify that you can go and listen to and kind of get caught up on that. Um, but the main thing today is I want to kind of wrap everything together with one essential theme of how we can combat anxiety together. Make sense? So we're going to look at it from a relationship standpoint with each other. Um, but let's just kind of recap what we've talked about with anxiety. So we talked about anxiety as being very, very, very prevalent um, in our culture. Uh, we talked about how as soon as you step into college age demographics, that 41% of college students um, deal with anxiety at some point. And so to say that anxiety isn't real, isn't something we're dealing with on a regular basis uh, is false because it's there and it's prevalent. So the question becomes, if anxiety is so real and if anxiety is such a big deal, well, how do us as God-fearing, believing Christians who sometimes deal with anxiety, maybe on a clinical level uh, or maybe just on a situational level, how do we interact with the way that honors the Lord and at the same time, doesn't say like, well, it doesn't exist. No, we want to say anxiety does exist. It's a real thing. It's, it's, it is very hard at times. How do we interact with it and deal with it in a way that models what God lies out in the Scripture? And so we did this whole story of God and anxiety. Um, and one of the first things that we saw is that Scripture says that we have the power to change the way we think. And so we looked at all these different verses that say that the the power of the mind and you have control about what you actually think about, which is kind of true, but kind of not true in our head. Sometimes we don't really think we have control of what we think about, but God actually says that you're given the power to think about certain things. And we looked at all those verses and then if we go back two weeks before snow apocalypse, you can remember that we talked about neuroplasticity in this from the psychological standpoint and how it says that psychology actually says that we can rewire how our brain thinks. And we kind of dove into that a little more detail. And we blend psychology and scripture to help us understand some of the more practicalities of it. So that was basically where we were going. So now we've come to this point. We've studied, like, what do I do in a moment of anxiety? How do I begin to, like, prepare for moments of anxiety? We talked about spiritual disciplines, being grounded to the Lord, right? And so now we're going to talk more about the living out of our everyday relationally so as I interact with anxiety and in today's lesson really can go across so many boards So this could be as I interact with depression as I interact with temptation as I interact with isolation as I interact with anger any of those things how do I interact with someone else who's also doing the same type of or situation all right so let's say I have anxiety and let's say Jonah has anxiety what does our friendship look like so we're going to look at maybe the best friendship ever in the Bible, which is pretty fun. Um, Two guys named David and Jonathan. um, And what you'll find is that we're gonna do a little bit of reading today, but it's because I wanna paint the holistic picture of their friendship. That makes sense? All right. Um, But I have a question for you, and, and it's more rhetorical by nature, but what role does community, does friendship, play in our um, experiences with anxiety? What role does it play? And I would poise this answer to you that it plays a big enough role if you let it. So it will play as big a role in your dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, dealing with anger, anything. It'll play as big of a role as you let it. And that's the tricky part of this. Because conceptually, we understand we need each other. Let's do this together. But what you'll find is that the way that you really step into the strength of that friendship is by you letting it play a big role. Does that make sense? So it will play as big of a role as you let it. So I want to remember that. But I want to start off with this proverb real quick. It's going to kind of set the tone. We're going to come back to this at the very end. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, y'all, y'all have heard this one before, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now, what that doesn't mean is that love your friends and fight with your brothers. What it, what it means is that there's deepness of relationships and that a brother is born to go through the hard things of life with you. A friend will just love you And that someone who is so close to you that you consider him a brother, consider him a sister, consider him a very cherished loved one, they'll go through the hard things with you. And that's what we're talking about today. You're going to see that modeled in David and Jonathan. Does that make sense? Are we awake? We're awake? Okay, I see a couple no's. That's all right. Hey, good morning. All right. So, oh man, I'm so excited. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is cool. So Jonathan and David, David and Jonathan, it's going to be a classic example of vulnerable friendship. That's our phrase, okay? Vulnerable friendship. And some of y'all are already getting uncomfortable because I just said vulnerable, and you're like, I don't really like that. But vulnerable friendship. Oh, this is so good. All right. Now, let me set the context where we just start reading and you have no idea what we're talking about. Y'all remember David, he killed a big guy named who? Goliath. Come on, Sunday school points, y'all just got him. All right, so David killed Goliath. And right after that is this. Okay, so David just killed Goliath. He's talking to King Saul and Saul's praising him, telling him, good job. And this is what happens. Ver- chapter 18, verses one through five. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. One of the things that I forgot to mention is that Jonathan is Saul's son. Okay. So we've got to understand that. So basically Saul's telling him good job. His son, Jonathan's there with him. And all of a sudden they just hit it off. Right? Jonathan and David hit it off. Let's look at some of the phrases. This first one says that the soul of David and Jonathan um, was knit together. Y'all see that? The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This wasn't a casual friendship. This wasn't like, we met each other at Ultimate Frisbee and now I have your number. Like, no, this is a deep, deep friendship, which is a beautiful picture here because they cared for each other. They loved each other deeply. Just imagine that imagery. The soul of my soul was knit to someone else's soul. That's not casual. That's deep. Uh, and let's be comfortable with this phrase intimate. That is an intimate friendship, right? This is starting just really intense friendship. And it says that they made a covenant. Y'all see that? Verse three, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. This is a model of what vulnerable friendships can look like. Look at verse four. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan was who? Saul's son, right? So Jonathan, Saul's son. Does this make it sense still? So Jonathan is Saul's son and, and Jonathan gives up what? Robe and everything that he uses as a commander of an army. If you look back two or three chapters in first Samuel, you'll see that Jonathan is a commander of his dad's army. And there's actually this cool battle where him and his armor bearer are able to go and, and conquer some land and territory. And so he is a fierce warrior who is known throughout the land as a fighter, as a general. And he gives up his armor to David. These are symbolic. He gives up things that make him special. Gave up his robe because it made him special for being next in line to the throne. He gives up his um, armor because this is Kind of who I am. This is everything I do. This is huge. Jonathan's telling David, look, this whole vulnerable friendship that we're starting, you now have access to every area of my life. Y'all see that? By giving the robe, by giving the different types of armor, there was not, um, there was not an area of Jonathan's life that was not available to David. I think that's a huge thing. When we think about friendship, are we willing to invite people into all of the areas of our life? We're going to talk about a little bit of that later because, yes, that's scary. All right. I'm I'm not going to say like that's not scary. But when your soul is knit to someone else and you have such a deep, intimate, personal, vulnerable friendship, are you inviting them into all of the areas of your life? He pretty much said, like, hey, David, I'm your friend. Uh, I'm gonna take care of you, and you're welcome in my space, which is kind of I don't know if we would ever say that to someone, but imagine someone said that to you, like, hey, I just want you to know you're my friend and I love you in all the areas of my life. Like you're welcome in, in this in that space because I love you a ton and you're welcome here just so you know, that validation. Let's keep the story going, all right? So flip over to uh, chapter 19. We're going to read a couple verses there. But let me kind of give you an understanding of what happens between, uh, because this this story is like six chapters and you're welcome, we're not going to read all of it. But uh, what happens is that Saul gets kind of mad at David and pretty much says, I'm going to kill him. And uh, things escalated very quickly. And he kind of says, David's going to take over my kingdom. The people love David more than they love me. So let's just kill the guy. All right? Because that's where we pick it up. Because Jonathan and David, best friends. Jonathan's dad wants to kill my best friend. That's a little drama, right? That's bad. All right. So in 1 Samuel 19, we're going to read the first seven verses. And it says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place. Hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I'll tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David as Saul's father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. He took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. He's talking about Goliath. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and you rejoice. Why are then we, are you going to sin against this innocent guy by killing him without cause? In verse six, and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Verse seven: Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported all these things and brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. What do we see here? We see this conflict, this uh, confrontation between. Jonathan and Saul, right? Where Saul pretty much says, I'm going to kill him. I hate him. We're done. And Jonathan goes, why would you do that? Here's why you wouldn't do that. He's actually helped your kingdom. He's helped you in this way. He delivered this defeat against the Philistines. He's helping your cause, a.k.a. he had David's back. Y'all see that? So one of the things that we see is that Jonathan is willing to have his friends back even in a really uncomfortable situation, like standing up to his dad who wants to kill his best friend. Right? Like, imagine yourself in those shoes. Like, that is not a conversation. You're like, well, I'm excited about to meet them for coffee, talk about it. No, like, this is a hard talk. And yet, in the midst of that, Jonathan stands up and says, I'm going to have David's back. He did not did not run from the hard things in their friendship. Because he had pledged himself to David. So therefore, he was going to have his back. Anxiety in the midst of friendship can be a hard thing that we run from when we interact with each other. Well, it's kind of like a touchy subject. I don't really want to talk about it. And so we don't. And David and Jonathan definitely had touchy subjects. Like they had an elephant in the room, a.k.a. my dad wants to kill you, bud. Right? Right? But he said, I'm going to embrace the vulnerable and the weird and say, hey, I'm going to have your back. But look at the first part. It says that uh, Jonathan actually told David, hey, danger's coming. You better hide. He looked out for his buddy. There's so much we can see here. and He defends defends David to his dad. He he did everything that he could. I want y'all to see this. Jonathan knows that his dad is coming after him, right? But he does everything he can to make sure that harm does not come to David. Y'all see that? So a vulnerable friendship means that I do everything I can to make sure that harm doesn't come to my friend. Let's take another level. So with anxiety, I do everything I can to make sure my friend isn't ruled and controlled by anxiety. Okay, let's take it through depression. I do everything I can to make sure my friend isn't ruled and controlled by depression. Within a vulnerable friendship, when the the soul, when y'all souls are knit together, I love that, frame, that language. It's not something we would use, but just imagine the intimacy and the deepness of that friendship. You do everything you can to have their back, to defend them, and to make sure that harm doesn't come their way. I think that's, that's huge. That's huge. That's looking out for them. 1 Samuel 20. I want y'all to keep seeing this story. So if you were to guess, do you think Saul keeps his word and tries to not kill David or tries to kill David? What would you guess? Yeah, he's trying to kill. him. Yeah. Look at verse 3. All right. So pretty much the context. Saul tries to kill David. Peace didn't last very long. Saul actually throws a spear at David. David's playing a harp, trying to, like, I don't know. He's playing music for Saul. And Saul throws a spear at him. Can you imagine doing that? There you are, just playing a harp. Some guy, like, throws a javelin at you. I'd get out of there. All right. And then here's what happened. David is actually confining in Jonathan. He says, David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he says, do not let do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, here it is. There is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, "Whatever you say, I will do for you." Look at this. David confines in Jonathan how he feels. Did y'all catch that phrase? There is a step between me and death. Now that just got real serious, right? That got real real quick. But, I mean, if you think about it, he's just got a javelin thrown at him. So there is a step between him and death. What, that? what verse is that? That's uh 1 Samuel 23 and 4. So he's saying, look, I am in a hard spot. And I'm going to tell you about it. When you're the one, let's flip it, not, you're no longer Jonathan. You are now David. When you're the one who's in a rough spot, taking that person that's so close to you and saying, I am a step away from death. Now, I don't know if I want to use that exact language, but you could say, I am really struggling right now. And I, I wanted to tell you because I knew that you want to help me. I know you want to help me. And so I'm going to tell you that I'm hurting. That's kind of the thing that we'll, we'll forget to do. We'll be hurting and struggling. And then we get mad. You're like, I don't know why my friends aren't here for me right now. Man, they don't know you're hurting. They don't know you're struggling. Now, in this context, I think Jonathan could use context clues to figure it out. But in our own life, when we're experiencing hurt, we have to tell our people. What does Jonathan respond? He says, whatever you say, I will do for you. A.k.a. like, dude, I will help you in any way. I love Jonathan in this story. Yeah, ha- that, that dude is a friend. He's going to have your back. He's going to look out for you. He's going to make sure harm doesn't come for you. He's going to help you in any way that he can. He's going to stand up for you even when it's awkward. He's going to say, look you in the face and say, I love you. I'm going to take care of you. That's a friend. That's a, that's a friend I want in my life, right? I love Jonathan in his story. So look at verse 17, the same chapter. So David and Jonathan have this conversation, and they kind of work through some logistics of what they're going to do and Verse 17, And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. I st- he loved him as he loved his own soul. Herein lies the deepest element of deep friendship. That does make sense. Herein lies the deepest element of uh, vulnerable friendship. Love and care for each other. Um, so this is kind of silly, but kind of not silly. So like for all the dudes in the room, like, a guy's not really going to tell another guy, hey, man, I love you. It's not a normal thing for us. Um, but there are some friendships, and y'all understand this, that that you actually get to a point where you feel comfortable saying, hey, man, I love you. Because there's, a, there's such an intimacy and a deepness in that friendship. And I think that's what this is like. There are some friendships that we're not just saying, "I love you, girl." Whatever. No, like this is like, "Hey, man, I love you. I'm praying for this week. Like, I'm with you in the fight. Let's do it. I love you." And it's a different level of friendship. And I've got a bunch of friends in my life, you know. Thanks, God. But
1: but I've only got a
0: handful of dudes that I can say, "Hey, man, I love you." It's different. And is that a bad thing? No. Y'all got close friends and y'all got like acquaintances. You know, y'all got people, you, whatever. I don't know how friends work nowadays. But there are some friends that are much, much, much like you're just closer. And there's a deep connection. And your soul is knit to their soul in some ways. And this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about vulnerability with like just your kind of homie. I'm talking about vulnerability with the guys that like you are closest with, the girls that you are closest with, letting them have your back that's what i'm talking about so i want you all to look at verse 31 of chapter 20 so saul talks to jonathan and pretty much and we're going to read this but he pretty much says like dude why are you trying to help david like think about yourself look at what verse 31 says for as long as the son of jesse lives that's david For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your your kingdom shall be established. If Saul died, who'd become king? Jonathan. Yet God has actually established that David will be king. So if Jonathan was being selfish, he would want... David to die so that he could become king. Like y'all have seen enough Lord of the Rings movies, like y'all understand how this works? So Saul says, what are you doing? Like, you're going to be the man. And and Jonathan says, but that's not the plan God has. See, I'm going to lay down what I think will be a lot of acclamation and Um, a lot of praise and a cool authority position for myself because I think God wants to do something in someone else's life not just someone else's life but like my best friend's life and so therefore I'm going to lay down what I really 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 want because sure he wanted it right if you're a king's son like you grow up Like wanting to be king. Like there's a whole movie called Lion King where like Simba can't wait to be king. Like, right? Okay, yeah, connect the dots. All right, now we're there. All right. Of course he wants to be king. Yet he lays that down because he thinks God wants to do something awesome in my friend's life and I want to be a part of it. So he lays down personal progress. For the sake of God wants to do something in my friend's life. And I don't want to get in the way of that. I don't want to get in the way of that. That's what's happening. He gave up something that would improve his life because he thought God wanted to do something in his friend's life. Let's read one more passage. First Samuel 23, verses 16 and 18. Saul and David are going back and forth. Saul's still trying to kill David. And there's actually this part where, like, um, it's weird. Um, Saul, like, goes into this cave to use the restroom. And, like, David's there hiding, but he didn't know he was there. And he, like, cut his robe while he was using the restroom. And it pretty much says, like, I could have killed you if I wanted Um, and then David kind of says, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, and Saul says, it's okay. Actually, why did I do that to you? But then they start fighting again, and it's, so long story short, nothing's changed, okay? And um, we see this in 1 Samuel 23. We're gonna read verses 16 through uh, 18. So Saul is like really gearing up to go kill David now, right? Like he he got the people together. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to them, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Why did Jonathan come? He came to strengthen him. What was David doing? David was hiding for his life. He was in a rough spot. So David is in a rough spot. Why did Jonathan come? To strengthen him. When our friends are in rough spots, we go to them to strengthen them. We know that. We know that. When you are in a rough spot, you invite your friend to come strengthen you. You guys ever had like a hard day? Then I don't know where your buddy comes over, like you didn't even know they were coming over. And about 10 minutes in, you're just smiling like having a great day out of nowhere. No, that's just me. Okay, well, it happens to me all the time. So maybe it happens to you. But if you're having a rough day and then all of a sudden comes over, they can like rejuvenate your soul, right? There's, There's life back into your bones. This is the friendship we're talking about. In moments of weakness, a friend goes and finds his other friend and helps him. I want you all to think about the application of this story. And I think in many ways, I'm going to let you connect the dots on your own behalf. But what a deep friendship this is. And what a deep example of how we can care for someone who's in a rough spot. Within the context of anxiety, most of us relate to David in this story. Hurting, struggling, fighting, doing what we can, and in need of someone to help. And Jonathan, he doesn't, Jonathan doesn't show up and like lead this army in charge and take down Saul and take care of everything for him. But he stood by him in the midst of the chaos. He had his back. He wasn't, he was there with him. He encouraged him. He strengthened him. And I want to know, and I want you to think about it. Do you have a trusted friend in your life? Do you have a vulnerable friendship in your life? that reminds you of this story. And some of y'all, y'all might immediately go to high school. Celine, will you get that door? Some of y'all immediately might go to high school. And you might think of like your bestie since third grade, right? And some of y'all might say, actually, I kind of am starting to develop one right now. Like maybe my roommate, I'm working on it. Here's what I would say. Most friendships are are most likely more vulnerable than you think they are. Imagine your closest friends. They vulnerable friendships you have. More than likely, y'all are closer than you actually think. Imagine if someone came to you and asked for help. Would you respond with a yes to them? More than likely, you would. And it's because our friendships are deeper than we think, but it's our insecurities in our mind that tell us, we're not there yet we're not at that level right that's what we say we're not we're not really at that place in our friendship yet where we can have these hard conversations yet i would say you probably are so i would wonder we i like to call them 2 a.m friends do you have a buddy you can call it 2 a.m your world's falling apart you're one step from death (laughs) in the words of david and say can you come be with me? Can you come pray with me? And you might say, no, I don't have anyone. I could wake up at 2 a.m. and say, get out of your room, come to my dorm room and help me. But I would say you do because if someone called you at 2 a.m. and said, Kaylee, can you come help? You're going to get up and help because you want to be that for someone. Who are those people? And here's what I would say. In the first week, we talked about exposing the dark hidden areas of our life. And sh- shining light on them in order to be healed. That's the, that's how we see healing come. We shine light into the dark areas of our life and then healing comes from us shining light on that. Do you have someone that you can sit down and share, particularly about anxiety, your story of anxiety with? Let them into that. Do you have someone that you can share your story of depression with, with anger, frustration? Maybe just Share your story, period. Like, let's throw everything out. Like, you just need to have, like, a real talk with somebody. And I would say you most likely do. And if you think I might, then I would say, why don't you set up in time and just have a conversation with them and be like Jonathan and David and invite them into that space. When he gave his robe and his armor, he says, these are the things in my life. These are the areas of my life. And I'm now inviting you into that space. That's my challenge for that. Because it's not just you and your buddy, right? It's not just Reese and Jacob. The Holy Spirit is there too, guiding that friendship. The Holy Spirit is there in the, in the soul of both partners. is seeking unity, but is really seeking deep, intimate friendship where the heart of one person is knit to the heart of another person. I think there's a lot of application. Love them as you would love your own soul. And I want to say this. You can do that. I know that that's scary. I know that you're saying, that's probably the last thing in the world I'd like to do. So, no. Mm -hmm. Yet, it's when we open up the dark, hidden spaces of our heart that we actually begin to heal and grow from them. Y'all, y'all see that? It's when we keep the hidden areas of our life closed and don't let them in that we struggle. We say, why can't I grow? Why can't I get over this? Why can't I, you know, develop into the man or the woman that I want to be? Like, why am I still stuck? You have to expose the dark areas of your life and allow them to heal. And I want to say that in, in regards to anxiety, there's this is a lot of different ways to fight this. We talked about spiritual disciplines, absolutely. We talked about the power of your mind, absolutely. And there's so many more we can talk about. Um, But the context of relationships is something I would really say invest in. Invest in someone who's going to be there for you and is going to help you. Does this make sense? So the, the story of David and Jonathan ought to encourage all of us. Encourages me encourages me to think, all right, God, who have you put in my life and what are the friendships that I need to invest in? It really, it pushes me to think in that. And God, where do I need to really create a vulnerable friendship in my life? God, what what are the dark areas in my life that I'm scared to tell someone about? Yeah. And why why would I tell someone about that? For healing. Okay. Why would I tell someone about that? To allow someone into the mess of my life. So that they can strengthen me in my darkest hour, because I think there's power in that. I want to throw that out at you guys, because a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Y'all see that verse played out in Jonathan? Friend loves at all time, but a boy, brother is born for adversity. I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna say one small quick thing about anxiety, uh, and then we'll we'll be done. Cool. Okay. Father. Thank you for the story of David and Jonathan. God, I ask that we are willing to be David, that we're willing to invite people into the mess of our life and invite them to come strengthen us. But Father, may we also be Jonathans where we are there for people, having their back and laying down what would be best for us so that we can help them. Uh, that's amazing that Jonathan would lay down his right to be a king just so he could help his buddy and we could be about what God was doing in his buddy's life. God, may we be about what you're doing in our friends' lives. God, this is a scary topic, this idea of anxiety and this idea of sharing our story and letting people into the junk of our heart that we've kind of kept hidden. God, some of us have deep pain from the past in our heart that we've hidden. Some of us have addiction in our heart we've kept hidden. Some of us have anger in our heart that we've kept hidden. May we have the courage to invite someone into that space and therefore be healed. We ask this um, that you would help our, I would just ask you'd help these students with that. That you would give them encouragement in their bones. That you they would have life in their spirit to do this. And so they're like, I don't know why I'm reaching out to you, but I am, and because I think this is what God wants me to do. May you birth in their soul spirit of obedience. Thank you for being with us in your name. Amen. I want to tell y'all real quickly that anxiety is a real thing. And just because we talked about it for a few weeks doesn't mean it's disappeared. And I don't expect that you've completely healed from your anxiety in these few weeks. I would be an idiot if I thought that. I do want to say that there are deeper resources that I can give you regarding anxiety. If you are struggling with anxiety, like on the real, and you want to know some different practical steps... I have some books I can give you. I'd be happy to order and give one to you. Um, and we can just talk through that. So if that's you, um, I would just say, let me know. And I would love to get uh, some more resources for you. I'd love to sit down and chat with you if I could. Um, I also, if you just say, I don't want to chat, but can you give me a book? I'll say, cool, that sounds great. Um, I want to like help you whenever process you're at with that.